Why were we in Afghanistan for 20 years? Why were we in Vietnam? Why did we fight in World War I and II? Why the Civil War and the Revolutionary War? I'm sure historians and social commentators can give us lots of varying reasons for the wars we have fought and for the ones that may be on the horizon. But is there one underlying reason for all wars and conflicts? And if we could discover the bottom line reason for war, would it be possible to also discover the solution to war? Well, guess what? Both the reason for war and the solution to war was revealed to us by James, the half-brother of Jesus, in a little letter nearly 2,000 years ago, a letter that is tucked into the back of our Bibles. Too bad more people haven't taken to heart what James had to say and acted upon it. Maybe if we will, we can get our lives and perhaps even our society on the road to lasting peace. James begins by pinpointing the source of all conflict. We're in James chapter 4. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. And you are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, so that you may spend it on your pleasures. Now, lest you think I'm reading war into this text when James is merely talking about quarrels and conflicts, I need to point out that the words he used literally mean wars and fighting. I don't know why the translators toned them down, but James is talking about war, big wars, as well as the little skirmishes we embroil ourselves in. And he gets right to the heart of the problem by pointing out that wars and conflicts are not caused by anything outside of us. Now, for sure, there are precipitating causes that can lead us into war. When attacked by a foreign power or a terrorist organization, we have a legitimate right to defend ourselves. When an egomaniac sets out to conquer the world or to rid the world of those he deems to be undesirable, we may be called upon to defend the defenseless. Now, few would deny that there is evil in the world and that sometimes the actions of evil men must be held in check by war. But ultimately, all wars have their origin 
within man himself. The fighting begins inside. Remember the two dogs we talked about. You know, James says our pleasures, our desires are at war, are soldiering within us. And that is true of everyone. Even those who have not invited in the white dog, who have not invited in the spirit of God, have a God-given sense of right and wrong that fights within their fallen, sinful, selfish nature. So everyone has battles raging within. Everyone struggles with conflicting desires. And those internal conflicts seldom stay locked within. They have a tendency to break through to the outside because when our selfish desires win on the internal front, they seek fulfillment in the external arena. And once out, they usually find resistance in the form of other people with conflicting desires or circumstances that hinder those desires from being fulfilled, and obviously that creates a problem. So what do we do? Well, James indicates that if the desire is strong enough, and he uses the word lust, which refers to any strong desire, if the desire is strong enough, we will do whatever is necessary to fulfill that desire, including murder, to remove the obstacle. Now, I know that's shocking, but that's what he says. You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. Now, obviously, that's the extreme, and not every conflict ends in murder. Sometimes when we're envious and cannot obtain, we, we just fight and quarrel. But it's only a matter of degree. If our desire is strong enough, We'll do whatever is necessary to fulfill it, including murder. So we better be careful what we want and how badly we want it. Every crime in the world has its roots in someone's desire. And the desire for power over others and what is theirs can obviously lead to war on a regional or even international level. But even legitimate desires, the desire for freedom, for basic needs, and simply for things we'd like to have can lead us to quarrels and conflicts, even murder, if not fulfilled. I really don't think anyone is too surprised by that analysis of the source of conflict. But James doesn't just leave it there. He doesn't just identify the problem. He goes on to explain why there's a problem in the first place. If wars and conflicts are caused by unfulfilled desires, how should we address those desires? And why do we find it necessary to fight to obtain them? James quite simply says, we do not have because we do not ask. Now, obviously, he's talking about legitimate desires here. He's not talking about the illegitimate desire of wanting to take what someone else has. 
But the Lord wants to give us the legitimate desires of our heart. Psalm 37.4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Our Heavenly Father delights in meeting our needs and even our desires as long as we first delight ourselves in him. If we find our delight in him and in our relationship with him, he will give us the desires of our heart because the desire behind all of our desires will be to live a life that honors him and reflects his love and goodness and grace. But if our prayers are selfish and feed the selfish nature, if we demand God do for us what we want and we put our desires and pleasures above his will for us, he has to say no. The motive in asking is obviously wrong, and that matters to God. To say yes to selfish demands would be to enable sin. So there will be times when, for our own best interest, God must say no to our requests. But what do we do when he says no? When we don't get what we want, what do we do? Sadly, there's a tendency to do something that puts us not only into conflict with others, but in opposition to God. We adopt the world's ways of dealing with conflict and seek to solve them the way men of the world do. Let's read on. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us. If God doesn't give us what we want, there's a real temptation to find somebody who will. And that not only puts us into opposition against God, it breaks his heart. You know, how would you feel if your wife went to the man next door to have her needs and desires met? What if she decided she couldn't wait for you to provide for her with what she wanted, so she turned elsewhere? How would you feel? Well, that's how God feels when we turn to the world. That's how he feels when he says no to our requests or wait a while and we respond, but I've got to have it and I've got to have it now. That's how he feels when we look to the world for ways to overcome the obstacles to our desires, when we use the world's methods to win the conflict, when we overpower, outsmart, negotiate, work harder, lie, cheat, steal, or even murder. Whenever we do whatever we can to get what we want. Now, it is true. The world may be able to give us what we want. 
But friendship with the world and its ways is hostility toward God. The world's methods may work, but they alienate us from our Heavenly Father. And James says they even make us his enemy. When we turn to the world, we've rejected the Lord and his provision. We become unfaithful brides, adulteresses, who have turned elsewhere to have their desires met. That makes God jealous, righteously so. If we've given ourselves to him, he expects us to remain faithful to him and to be satisfied with his provision. You know, all through the Bible, God pictures himself as our husband. And he openly expresses a jealous desire for his bride to be faithful to him. For there to be a loving, trusting relationship between him and his people. That alone should be enough reason for us to avoid turning to the world to have our desires met. But we want what we want. And the world's methods may give us what we want. In fact, they will work for a time. If we're strong enough or smart enough, we can get what we want. We can have everything we want until someone stronger or smarter comes along. Like gunslingers in the Old West discovered, outgunning someone just makes you a target for someone else. And eventually, the ways of the world create conflict and even wars. The world's solution does not bring lasting peace or lasting fulfillment. So what is God's solution to conflict? Verses 6 through 10. But he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. You know, even after we offend him, God is willing to meet our needs and desires. The greater grace James is talking about includes willingness on God's part to forgive our unfaithfulness and to take us back. But we must let God be God and eventually submit to his will for us. God gives grace to those who humble themselves before him. So we must submit to him and let him say no or wait or not until you've learned what I'm trying to teach you. And then after we have submitted to God's will, we must resist the devil and the selfish desires he stirs within us. We can't feed them. 
and expect them to go away. We can't keep thinking about what it is we want and dreaming about how to get it. We cannot allow the God of this world to convince us that we deserve whatever it is we think we need or want. We resist the devil by making it clear to him and to ourselves that he is not calling the shots in our life anymore. And we do whatever is necessary to put some distance between ourselves and the forbidden desire. We stop going to the showroom or watching the shopping channel or going into the gas station to look at lottery tickets. When it becomes clear to him that whatever he is tempting us with has lost its appeal, he'll back off. He'll flee from us, at least for a time, when he sees we've closed the door on a temptation and that he's not getting anywhere. And after we've surrendered to God's will and resisted the devil, we're really able to draw near to God. We're able to remind ourselves who he is, what he has done for us, and what he has promised to do. And as we draw near to God, he draws near to us. The things that were separating us have been removed and we're back in a close relationship with him. That happens we're strengthened by his presence. And just knowing he is near enables us to control the desires we thought were so important and thus avoid the conflicts that come from our attempts to fulfill them. If we will just trust him to provide and not fight and quarrel to get what we want, we'll just let him give it to us. If we're to have it, he'll give it to us. If it's good for us, we can then cleanse our hands and stop acting in sinful ways. We can stop manipulating people or circumstances and doing whatever it takes to get what we want. But to do so, we must rid ourselves of double-mindedness, of thinking we can have it both ways. We must give up the idea that we can have everything we want because everything we want must surely be God's will for us. We must truly desire his will for us above our own, even when it doesn't bring immediate pleasure. We must never forget that his will may, in fact, make us miserable, make us mourn and weep. We must be willing to let our laughter be turned into mourning and our joy to gloom, at least for a time. But we must also never forget that he's promised to exalt us if we'll humble ourselves before him and surrender to his will. If we will trust him enough to do that, he will lift us up and give to us a sense of satisfaction and peace that will make our fleshly desires wane in his presence. When our desires are brought under control, Conflicts will cease, at least those that are under our control. 
If we will win the battle on the inside, there won't be nearly as much fighting on the outside. Now, this will work. It has solved conflicts between brothers, within families, in the workplace, in churches, and even in communities. And if enough people will put this into practice, it can even prevent war. But it has to start with us and a change of heart. We have to give up the fight to have our desires met. We have to trust God to meet our desires according to his perfect will for us. That means we can no longer be charmed by the world's delights. Things that are higher and nobler must allure our sight, and we must hasten to him. Only then will conflicts cease and peace reign in our heart. And in at least our little corner of the world. I'll bet you can't guess what hymn we're going to sing. <laughs> Let's stand and sing it together.